بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So continuing with our study of the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawwi Today we are on hadith number 36 and we've said that Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abbad's explanation to this hadith consists of eight parts. And we have so far in our previous session covered the first part. So inshallah ta'ala we'll continue with part number two. And that is the statement of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. وَمَنْ يَسَّرَ عَلَى مُعْسِرٍ يَسَّرَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ Whoever makes it easy for the one that is in debt, then Allah shall make it easy for him in this life and the afterlife. Meaning whoever makes the affair easy for the one that is in straitened circumstances, in debt, then Allah shall make easy for you your affairs in this life and in the afterlife. So concerning this Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he says that this again is al-jaza' min jintil amal. That principle that we mentioned last session. Al-jaza' min jintil amal. The recompense is in accordance to the action. You do a certain thing, you do a certain deed, you perpetrate a certain crime. Then the result of that, the recompense of that is going to be from the same sort, from the same type. So in this circumstance, you have made something easy for someone else. You've made someone else's affairs easy for them. So now as a result to that, as a recompense to that, as a reward to that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make your affairs easy. Not only in the afterlife, but also in this life. If it was the case that somebody was in debt and you made his affairs easy, then Allah will make affairs easy for you as well in this life and in the afterlife. And that can occur by you giving the money that a person needs in order for him to pay off his debt. And it can also occur that if you are the one to whom he owes the debt to, that you give him some respite, you give him some time, an extended amount of time to pay you back. He was meant to pay you back by a certain date, but now you, acting upon this hadith, extend the time, because he's in a difficult circumstance. So you extend the time for him to pay you back with it. Or, you wipe off the debt totally. You say to him, you don't need to pay me back. And no doubt that is something that is more superior. But it is better. As Allah Jalla wa'ala has said, وَإِن كَانَ ذُو عُسْرَةٍ فَنَذِرَةٌ إِلَى And if the one that is in debt is in hardship, then grant him respite, give him some time, up until it is easy for him. وَأَنْ تَصَدَّقُوا خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ 
However, if you give in charity, meaning if you wipe off the debt from him, he doesn't have to pay you the debt at all now. وَإِن If you give in charity, then that is better for you if you knew. So that is the second part of Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abbas' explanation concerning making the matter easy for the one that is in debt and then as a result to that, Allah shall make things easy for you in this life and in the afterlife. Part number three is concerning the statements of Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam when he said, وَمَنْ سَتَرَ مُسْلِمًا سَتَرَهُ اللَّهُ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ Whoever conceals a Muslim, then Allah shall, con- then Allah shall conceal him, veil him, conceal him in the dunya and in the akhirah, in this life, this worldly life, and in the afterlife. So this hadith here, Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he says, وَهَذَا أَيْضًا الْعَمَلْ فِيهِ سِتْرٌ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْجَزَاءَ عَلَيْهِ سِتْرٌ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ It's the same principle again. الْجَزَاءَ مِنْ جِنْسِ الْعَمَلِ Actions are based upon, or rather the recompense of an action is based upon the type of action. You do a certain action, your recompense will be similar to that. So now in this circumstance, what is the action that you've done? You've concealed, you've hid, you've concealed what? You've hid what? You've concealed someone's sins. This sitar here that is being referred to, this concealing and this hiding, it's in reference, <coughs> it's in reference to concealing and hiding your Muslim brother, your Muslim sister's faults, your Muslim brother, your Muslim sister's sins, their mistakes. Things that might harm their integrity, things that might be, that might harm their character, things that are an indication of their deficiency, perhaps in their de- in their religion, in their deen, in their uh, uh, righteous actions, they've committed a sin. And so, what you go and do is rather than exposing it, rather than publicizing it, rather than telling other people about their fall, about their deficiency in their character, their deficiency in their deen, their deficiency in their integrity, rather than you circulating it and telling others about it and exposing your brother and sister, you conceal it, you hide it. And if you do that, if you conceal your Muslim brother's, brother or sister's fault or sin, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will conceal your faults and hide your faults in this life and in the afterlife. There is nobody from amongst us except that he has something of sin, something of mistake, something of of shortfalls. However, it is not for us, for us to be publicizing other people's faults. If we do so, if we try to adopt the practice of exposing other people's faults and sins, then again, al-aks bil-aks, the opposite also applies here now. That if you hide someone's sins and faults, Allah will hide yours. But now if you try to expose, if you try to 
publicized if you try to circulate the faults and the mistakes and the shortfalls of others, then the same thing is going to happen to you. By Allah, from Allah, Allah will do it. Allah will end up exposing your faults. Allah will end up exposing your sins. Allah will end up exposing your shortcomings. As Allah's Messenger ﷺ, He said in that narration that has been declared Hassan by Imam al-Albani in Sahih al-Tarheeb al-Tarheeb. The Messenger ﷺ, He said, من تتبع عورات أخيه المسلم تتبع الله عورته ومن تتبع الله عورته يفضحه The one who, f- who tries to follow the faults of his Muslim brother then Allah will follow his faults and whoever Allah follows his faults, then Allah will end up exposing him. The Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he said in another narration, that Imam, Imam al-Albani, he declares to be Hassan again in the same collection, Sahih, Targhib, Tarheeb. The Messenger prohibits us. He says, لا عوراتهم. Don't follow their faults, meaning the faults of the Muslims. فَإِنَّهُ مَنِ اتَّبَعَ عَوْرَاتِهِمْ تَتَبَّعُ اللَّهُ عَوْرَتَهُ Because the one who follows their faults, the, the faults of the Muslims, he follows them up, he looks into them, he tries to expose them, then Allah will end up following his faults. وَمَنْ تَتَبَّعَ اللَّهُ عَوْرَتَهُ يَفْضَحُهُ فِي بَيْتِهِ and whoever is the one whose faults Allah ends up following, then Allah will expose him even if he's inside of his own house. If you try to look into the faults of other people, the slips of other people, the shortcomings of other people, and you try to expose them, you try to highlight them to other people, you try to circulate them, then watch what happens to you. Because someone is going to end up following your faults. And that is none other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he'll end up exposing those faults of yours. Exposing those sins of yours. Exposing those shortcomings that every single one of us have. He'll end up exposing you even if if you're in the depths of your own house. So that there is a warning to every single one of us. Not to be following up the faults and exposing and highlighting and indicating towards the faults of other people. Rather upon us is to hide other people's faults, conceal their sins, so that we hope as a result of that, Allah ends up concealing and hiding our sins and our shortcomings in this life and likewise in the afterlife. This is in relation to a person. This concealing of sins. It is in relation to concealing the sins of someone who isn't openly sinning in front of other people. You're not exposing him now if you tell others about his sin because he's doing it in front of other people. So you're out in public. There's a person there committing the sin. 
He's drinking alcohol in front of everybody. You now warning the people against him isn't considered expo isn't considered exposing his sins because he's already doing it in front of them. Keep away from him. You see that man there? He's drinking alcohol. He's listening to music out in public. He's committing fahisha, immoral loot acts in public. Keep away from him. Keep your family members away from him. He's a person that will harm them and so on and so forth. This is not exposing his sins because he's already doing it. Or if it's the case that the harm that a person does, he's known to be an evil person, a criminal. He's known for theft. He's known for treachery. He's known for deception. So therefore you know that he's committed a certain crime, the crime of theft, for example. Then yes, you can expose him by relaying his affair to the authorities. Relaying his affair to those that are able to punish him. However, those that don't fall into this category, those that are known for goodness and istiqama, those who are committing their sins in private, then it is not upon me, not upon you, to be exposing such people. That is part number three. Part number four. Part number four is concerning the statement of Allah's Messenger, alayhi salatu wassalam, Wallahu fi awni al-abdi ma kana al-abdu fi awni akhihi. Allah is in the aid of his servant while his while his servant is in the aid of his brother. So this here is an encouragement. It's an encouragement for us to help each other, to help our Muslim brother, to help our Muslim sister. And that whenever you do end up helping them, whenever you do end up assisting your Muslim brothers and sisters, then as a result of that, you'll attain the help and the assistance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Part number five is concerning the statement of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam and he said, وَمَنْ سَلَكَ طَرِيقًا يَلْتَمِسُ فِيهِ عِلْمًا سَهَّلَ اللَّهُ لَهُ بِهِ طَرِيقًا إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ Whoever treads upon a path seeking by it knowledge then Allah shall make easy for him by way of it a path to paradise. <coughs> a, per a person traverses a path of knowledge, seeking knowledge, and Allah shall then make easy for you the path to paradise. You traversing a path of knowledge, a path in which you're seeking knowledge, is of two types. Number one, physic, a physical path. You pursuing and you traversing and treading upon a physical path. Meaning you leave your house and you physically head towards, for example, the masjid. It's a physical path now that you're taking to the masjid in order to attain knowledge at the masjid or to a university. If you're a person who studies at an Islamic university, or an institute, or a halaqa from the halaqa of al-ilm, a circle from the circles of knowledge, perhaps it's something that's been organized at a community center, perhaps it's something that's been organized at a hall, regardless of where and where it is, if there are halaqa al-ilm occurring, and you have exited your house, then you are now upon a physical path, 
a physical path of seeking knowledge. You're traversing upon a physical path towards seeking knowledge. So it's it can be physical and likewise it can be ma'nawi. It can be يعني, in meaning. Yani that a person traverses upon a path seeking knowledge, meaning that he traverses upon a metaphorical path. Now we're not talking about the physical one. We've discussed the physical one. And that is inclusive of this, and likewise a metaphorical path. And how does that occur? How does a person metaphorically take the path of seeking knowledge? That is, for example, by a person getting the books, beneficial books, reading those books, studying those books, taking benefit from those books, books within which there is Islamic knowledge. The thing that has been referred to in this hadith, is Islamic knowledge. It is. It is not secular knowledge. It is Islamic knowledge. Likewise, the metaphorical path of seeking knowledge is a person having mulazama with the ulama, taking knowledge from the ulama, a person listening to recordings, a person listening to uh, uh, live broadcasts such as this of knowledge. A person taking those means and those avenues of attaining knowledge. So the means and the avenues of attaining knowledge is what we call the, the, the ma'nawi meaning of, a, of traversing upon the path of seeking knowledge. You have the physical path which is actually getting out of your house and then heading towards wherever the circle of knowledge is taking place. That's the physical path now. And then you have the ma'nawi path. You have the metaphorical path. The metaphorical path is essentially a term that denotes you taking the means via which you can acquire the knowledge, which can be books, it can be the audio recordings, it can be taking from the, having mulazimah with the ulama, having company with the ulama and benefiting from the ulama, and so on and so forth, from the various different means and avenues of attaining knowledge. So now, what is the jaza? What is the recompense? What is the reward? What is the result of a person taking the path, whether physical or otherwise, of knowledge? The result and the reward of a person taking the path of knowledge is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes easy for you now the path to paradise. And that is where we all want to go. The reason why we're sitting here right now and listening to this kalam from the Messenger والسلام, and the people of knowledge is because we want to go to Jannah. We want to go to paradise. We know that we're not going to be here forever. And therefore the whole purpose behind this is to get to paradise. The whole purpose behind us sitting down learning right now is to get to paradise. That's the only purpose behind it. And so what Allah will do for you is that if you tread upon this path Allah will make your attain the attainment of that of that goal easy for you. He'll make the ability to get to paradise easy for you. And how will He make it easy for you? You want to get to Jannah, and so you tread you tread upon the path of seeking knowledge. How will Allah make your 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 goal of getting into Jannah easy for you? How will He do that? He will do that <coughs> by number one. Helping you in acquiring the actual knowledge. Right now we're studying. Right now we're learning. So we're upon the path of seeking knowledge. 
Allah will make it easy for us. He'll make understanding the knowledge easy for us. He'll make acquiring the knowledge easy for us. Learning it, Allah will make it easy for us. So the actual talab al-ilm, the actual seeking of knowledge, Allah will make it easy for us. Because we need the knowledge to get to paradise. We need to know how to get to paradise. What are the do's? What are the don'ts? What are the things that Allah wants from us? What are the things that Allah doesn't want us to do? So we need the knowledge. That's the first thing. That's the first thing to get to paradise. The knowledge. Allah will make it easy for you. The actual acquisition of the knowledge. Allah will make it easy. Look how easy it is. Even though the whole world is, for a lack of better terms, at a standstill right now. <coughs> Even though the whole world is at a standstill right now, look at this. We're still able to acquire knowledge. We're still able to acquire knowledge sitting in our homes. Even if we live in remote places in the world, we can still acquire knowledge. Even if you live hundreds and hundreds, if not perhaps thousands of miles away from where the actual lecture is taking place, you can still acquire that knowledge. Has not your Rabb Jalla wa'az made it easy for you? Bila shak. Without doubt, Allah has now made it easy for you. So the acquisition of the knowledge, Allah makes it easy for you. Retaining, understanding, digesting that knowledge, Allah will make it easy for you if you're sincere upon the path of Talab al So that's the first thing. That Allah, the reward and the recompense of having traversed upon the path of knowledge is that number one, Allah makes easy for you the acquisition of knowledge. So what's the second thing now? There's a second thing that's remaining. If the, rec- if the result of you traversing upon the path of knowledge is that Allah makes easy for you the path to paradise, which is by number one, making acquisition of knowledge easy for you, then what's the second thing that now remains? The second thing that now remains is acting upon that knowledge. Allah will make acting upon the knowledge easy for you. You learn the do's, you learn the don'ts, you learn the things that you're meant to do, the things that you're not meant to do. You learn about information concerning the afterlife. All of that now requires acceptance, belief and action. Allah will make that acceptance and that belief and that action easy for you. Allah will make acting upon the knowledge that you acquired easy for you. And thus now, as a result of that, paradise has therefore ultimately become easy for you to get to. Because you've acquired the knowledge and it, and Allah made it easy for you to acquire. And you and you have now been blessed to act upon your knowledge. And Allah made acting upon it easy for you. And thus as a result of that, paradise essentially has become easy for you to attain. That is the end of part number five. Part number six. Part number six is concerning the statement of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam when he said, وَمَجْتَمَعَ قَوْمٌ فِي بَيْتٍ مِنْ بُيُوتِ اللَّهِ يتلون كتاب الله ويتدارسونه بينهم إلا نزلت عليهم السكينة وغشيتهم الرحمة 
وحفتهم الملائكة وذكرهم الله في من عنده لا إله إلا الله The messenger he said No group of people gather together in a, in a house from the houses of Allah reciting the book of Allah studying it between themselves except that sakinah descends down upon them tranquility and peace and serenity descends down upon them mercy covers them the angels surround them and Allah mentions them Allah mentions that group of people to those who are with him subhanahu wa ta'ala so concerning this Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad he mentioned several points the first point is that when Allah when Allah's messenger says a house from the houses of Allah no group of people gather together in a house from the houses of Allah what is being referred to by the house from the houses of Allah the thing that is being referred to here are the masajid are the masajid and it idafa of it has been made to Allah it has been attached to Allah out of tashrif it is called idafa to tashrif yani idafa of honor yani out of honor for this particular place meaning the the house of Allah the masajid out of honor uh, uh, for these places idafa of them has been made to Allah they have been attached to Allah. Just like we say, Kitabullah, the book of Allah, out of honor for the, for the, for the book. Or we say, Rasulullah. Or we say, Baytullah, in reference to the Kaaba. Or that which has been mentioned in the Quran, Naqatullah, the Naqa of Allah, the She Kamal of Allah. Out of honor for that particular thing. Out of honor. For that particular place, for that particular animal. Out of honor for it, it has been attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Idafa of that thing has been made to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <coughs> no doubt, the masajid are a place that are the, the best of places upon this earth. As the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he said in the narration recorded by Imam Muslim, أحب البلاد إلى الله مساجدها وأبغض البلاد إلى الله أسواقها. That the most beloved of lands to Allah are the masajid, are the masaj, masajid, the mosques, the masajid, and the most hated of places to Allah are the aswaq, are the marketplaces. Therefore, the masajid, they have virtue and they are. Uh, they are the most they are the greatest of places upon this earth the next part the next point that Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad he makes is concerning the statement of the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam about the action that these people engage in when they are gathered together in the house of Allah what is the action the action is reciting the book of Allah and studying it between themselves and therefore this is an encouragement for a people to recite the book of Allah in the masajid and to study it in the masajid 
And this can this can occur. The actual recitation of the Book of Allah together as a group can occur in several ways. So it can occur by one person reciting and everybody else is listening. Or it can occur by uh, by tanawub, by turn, by يعني, turn by turn. So for example, you have a group of people. One person recites, everybody else listens. Just like they would have done in the first example. And then when that person finishes reciting, so for example, he recites a page. The next person recites and everybody else listens. And then the third person recites and everybody else listens. So you listen and you benefit from hearing how to recite the ayat properly. And likewise, any mistakes that are corrected, then you benefit from the correction of those particular of those particular mistakes. And if there is someone that has some knowledge about the meanings, someone that has some ilm concerning the meanings, there is a scholar or a teacher there that is able to teach the meanings from the book of Allah, then that is something that is khair wa tayyib. That is something that is good and that is something that is tayyib. <clears throat> One point to highlight concerning this fact of studying in the masajid, uh, studying the book of Allah, and likewise the meanings that is contained within the book of Allah and in the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah والسلام, studying your religion mutually together in the masajid, and then you have the reward that is associated with it. The Messenger والسلام, he's mentioned four fada'il uh, and uh, uh, four great virtues associated with the people studying the Book of Allah in the Masajid. Number one, that sakina and tumatnina, tranquility and peace and serenity, it descends down upon you, upon that group of people. Number two, that mercy ends up covering you. Mercy of Allah ends up covering that gathering. And number three, the angels end up surrounding you. They end up surrounding that gathering. And number four, that Allah the Most High mentions you to the angels. Allah will mention you because you're in that group of people in the masjid studying your deen. Allah makes a mention of you to the angels. One important point to uh, bear in mind is that some people may ask, how about us in this situation here who are not in the masajid but we're still studying? We're studying the deen of Allah, we're studying the book of Allah, we're studying the sunnah of the messenger of Allah We're studying and acquiring Islamic knowledge. So do we attain uh, or do we fit into this narration here? That which the scholars have mentioned is that no doubt a person that is studying not in the masajid and he's studying by listening uh, for example, via live broadcast such as such, such as this, no doubt that person he he attains reward for that for his talabul ilm. He attains reward for his for his seeking of knowledge. However, because it is the case that a uh, uh, specific mention has been made of those people being in the masjid. Explicit is being mentioned 
categorically it has been mentioned that the people are in a masjid, then that particular reward that they attain and that level of reward and that level of virtue that they have is not something that is uh, applicable absolutely to anybody and everybody regardless of where they are. No, it's specific to the masjid. It is specific to the masjid. However, no doubt, a person that, for example, gathers together, you gather together with your family members and you sit in front of the laptop or the computer, uh, the computer or the phone or the whatever you may have, the iPad, and you listen to the lecture that is being transmitted via whatever device you may have, then no doubt you'll attain great reward for it. However, that which has been mentioned here, that specific reward that has been mentioned here, and that virtue that they have in this particular narration here, is specific to them. Specific to those that are in the masajid, gathering together in the mother, in the masajid. Tamam. Part number seven of Sheikh Abdul Mahsin Abad's explanation. Part number seven is concerning the statement of the Messenger والسلام, when he said, وَمَنْ بَطَّأَ بِهِ عَمَلُهُ لَمْ يُسْرِعْ بِهِ نَسَبُهُ Whoever's actions cause a person to slow down, then his lineage is not going to cause him to catch up. Whoever's actions, whoever's mother, whoever's uh, slowness in performing righteous deeds, whoever's slowness, whoever is slow in performing good deeds, then his lineage is not going to allow him to catch up. Whoever, whoever slowness, whoever has slowness in performing good deeds, then his lineage is not going to allow him to catch up. <clears throat> and this clearly shows to us and highlights to us the importance of our good deeds. That the thing that bears weight is Iman and Taqwa. Iman and Taqwa is the thing after, after the Rahmah of Allah and the Fadl of Allah, the mercy of Allah and the favor of Allah. It is these things that will be a cause of us entering into paradise. Iman and Taqwa, faith and piety. As Allah Jalla wa ala said, Inna akramakum indallahi atqakum. Indeed, the most noble of you in the sight of Allah is whom? Indeed, the most noble of, indeed, the most noble of you in the sight of Allah are those that, are those that have the most taqwa, those that have the most piety. Allah did not say the one that is most noble in his eyes amongst us are those that come from a certain background, a certain ethnic background. No, our race, our color, has got nothing to do with the actual virtue and excellency that we carry before the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our lineage and our race and our ethnic background is going to carry no weight at all in us entering into paradise. The only thing that will carry any weight is our righteousness, our iman and our righteousness, our deeds. And so if we become slow and slack in becoming righteous people, 
then our then our 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 lineage and our race isn't going to help us in the afterlife. As Allah Jalla wa Ala has said, فَإِذَا نُفِخَ فِي الصُّورِ فَلَا أَنْسَابَ بَيْنَهُمْ يَوْمَئِذٍ وَلَا يَتَسَاءَلُونَ When the horn shall be blown into, meaning when the day of judgment shall be established, when the horn shall be blow blown into. Then on that day there shall be no ansab, there'll be no connections, no lineages, nothing. And neither will people be asking each other about each other. When the horn is blown into and you're resurrected from your grave, then there's going to be no, this person was a white person, this person was a black person, this person was a Pakistani, this person was an Arab and therefore he's going to have more virtue upon the others. <coughs> it is not going to be on Yawm Al-Qiyamah that so-and-so, because he had a British passport, then just like he was able to bypass the queue in immigration when he lands at the airport, because he had a British passport, he was able to bypass the queue and go into the quick queue. Just because he was able to do so in this life, does not mean that he's going to have the same type of virtue in the afterlife. You're not going to be able to get into paradise quicker. You're not going to be able to jump the queue just because you had a British passport, just because you had an American passport, just because you had an Australian or European passport, regardless of what ethnic background you had and which country you were a citizen to, and regardless of how strong and powerful the government to which you were a citizen for in this life, how strong that government was, regardless of all of that, none of that, none of that is going to help you on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Your connections aren't going to help you. The people you knew isn't going to help you. Your social status is not going to be of any value to you. Your background, your passport, the visa that you had in this life, none of that is going to help you. The only thing by the Father of Allah that will help you on Yawm Al-Qiyamah is what? Is your Iman and your Taqwa that you had in this life. Iman and Taqwa, acquiring it stopped as soon as your soul left your body. But whatever Iman and Taqwa you had before your soul left your body, that will be of use to you. That will be of benefit to you. That will be a means and a cause of you entering into paradise, in the afterlife. And thus, how relevant is that statement? Those lines of poetry that Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abad, he quotes, or rather, he quotes a statement from Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali. Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali, he relayed two lines of poetry. And those lines of poetry go as, follow, go as, as follows. La'amruka. ما الإنسان إلا بدينه فلا تترك التقوى اتكالا على النسب لقد رفع الإسلام سلمان فارس وقد وضع الشرك النسيب أبا لهب The poet he said By your age a person is nothing other than his deen and the statement here by your age when you literally look at it, it looks like an oath. However, it is a statement, the conventional usage of it by the Arab, 
uh, is such that it doesn't really denote uh, what it literally means. It doesn't denote an oath. It doesn't mean an oath. Like It is like the statement, may your mother be sacrificed for you. We don't literally mean may your mother be sacrificed at all. We don't mean that at all. Uh, when when that when that statement is made in Arabic, it is a state. It is one of those Arabic statements whose meaning is other than its literal meaning. So here, when the poet said, "La amruka mal insan illa bidinihi," by your age, it is like he's taking an oath, but it's not actually that. It isn't a statement that denotes taking an oath. He said, "La amruka mal insan illa bidinihi." By your age, a person is nothing. Other than his deen. فَلَا تَتْرُكِ التَّقْوَى اتِّكَالًا عَلَى النَّسَبِ Therefore, don't leave taqwa. Don't abandon taqwa. Don't let go of adhering to taqwa. Just by relying upon your lineage. Just by relying upon your ethnic background. لَقَدْ رَفَعَ الْإِسْلَامُ سَلْمَانَ فَارِسٍ وَقَدْ وَضَعَ الشِّرْكُ النَّسِيبَ أَبَا لَهَبْ Indeed, Islam surely raised Salman Farsi, Salman al-Farsi, Salman al-Farsi, the Persian, the great companion. Islam raised him, even though he wasn't an Arab. He was a Farsi, he was a, a Persian. Yet Islam, because of him embracing Islam and him being upon Islam, Islam raised Salman Farsi. وَقَدْ وَضَعَ الشِّرْكُ النَّسِيبَ أَبَا لَهَبْ Yet shirk ended up disgracing and lowering that man of lineage, Abu Lahab. Abu Lahab was an Arab. Abu Lahab was from the Quraysh. Abu Lahab, he was from Bani Hashim. Abu Lahab, he was from the son. Uh, he was from Mada. The, 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 the family of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. Abu Lahab was the uncle. He was the uncle of Muhammad ibn Abdullah, Rasulullah, Afdal al-Bashar, Khairul Khalq, alayhi salatu wasalam. The best of creation. Abu Lahab was his own uncle. Yet in spite of that, shirk, the deed of shirk, that belief of shirk, ended up lowering Abu Lahab. Ended up disgracing Abu Lahab. Therefore, the point is, your race, your ethnic background, is going to have no weight in the afterlife. The only thing that is going to carry weight is Iman and Taqwa. The final part to Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad's explanation is part number eight. And that is a summary of the benefits, those points of benefit being nine. Number one. In this hadith is a targheeb, is an encouragement in relieving other people from suffering in this world. Someone's in suffering and you remove that suffering. This hadith encourages you to do so. It encourages you to remove suffering from other people and that as a result of that Allah will remove from you suffering in the afterlife, suffering on the day of standing. Point number two. That al-jaza' min jins al-amal. The reward is based upon the type of action. You do a certain action, you'll get a similar reward. And so, if it is the case that you do the action of relieving 
others from suffering, then the recompense and the result is Allah will relieve from you suffering in the afterlife. Number three, in this hadith is an encouragement in making things easy for those that are in debt. And that the reward of that is that Allah will make things easy for you in the dunya and in the afterlife. Number four, Number four is an encouragement to hide the faults of other people. When there is a, a clear-cut benefit in doing so, which is the default rule. The default rule is you hide other people's sins and their mistakes. Obviously, if a person's a known criminal and he harms other people, a person commits sins out in the open, then, in that circumstance, it would be no doubt better that you inform the authorities, that you inform others so that they are saved from his harm, and so that the authorities punish him, and so that punishment is a form of uh, uh, reprimanding him, and it, uh, he desists from committing that sin. Number five. In this hadith is an encouragement in aiding your Muslim brother, and that whenever you aid your Muslim brother, you will attain as a result of that aid and assistance from Allah. Number six. In this hadith, this hadith highlights the virtue of seeking Islamic knowledge. This hadith highlights the virtue of seeking Islamic knowledge. Number seven. In this hadith, there is a highlighting of the virtue of gathering together in the masajid in order to recite the book of Allah and study the book of Allah. Number eight. That iman and righteous actions are a, are a cause, a means of entering into paradise and attaining high levels with Allah Azza wa Jal. Number eight, that Iman, faith, and righteous actions are a cause of a person entering into paradise and attaining high levels with Allah Azza wa Jal. And the last one, number nine, that the nobility of a person's ethnic background and his lineage without righteous deeds is not going to benefit a person in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number nine, that the lineage of a person, the noble lineage and the racial background that he comes from, without him having righteous deeds will not benefit a person <coughs> in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is the end of Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad's explanation to this hadith, hadith number 36. Insha'Allah ta'ala next week we'll begin our study of hadith number 37. So with that we'll conclude at this point. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. Wa sallillahumma ala nabiyyina Muhammad. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.